Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter Seven. And it really was. Carmi hadn't suspected a thing, but Candy had been quietly planning her birthday party ever since we'd jumped in system. Much longer, actually. Small and his team had debarked two days before and were now on the ground as his morning call informed us. The news from down there was grim on the various unofficial channels, but he himself was as upbeat as ever, I was told, and expressed confidence that they'd be done with their various stories right on schedule. Bully for the free press. We had the common room, ours once again for a time, decked out with streamers and colored hollows, lights dimmed for the sake of the candles on the cake, which had been bought months before for a princely sum over 50 light years to spinward and kept in deep freeze until this day. Ira was master of ceremonies, hamming it up with a weird sequined vest, top hat, and enormous gold sunglasses that obscured half his face. I was shocked at the change from his normal, casual elegance, but this was apparently a running gag on board, stemming from some comical incident in the past that everyone but I knew and laughed about. It was all pretty funny anyway, and I even smiled when Haley Gardet played over the tri-D. Carmi gave the room a mock scowl, stating that she didn't like birthdays and didn't like parties and this wasn't how she'd wanted to spend the day. Then she burst into tears, hugged her partners and crew, and raised a glass of proffered rosé, her favorite it seemed, to luck and the future and to family. I brought people drinks to keep myself busy and to pretend like I was actively contributing. Beer, wine, and distilled liquors flowed freely, liberated as they were from hidden corners of Candy's domain. Even Anya, after a tall glass of dark, creamy porter, had become positively garrulous, talking to Ben Roggenstein in her, and at least ostensibly his, native tongue, at a sizable percentage of C. Her arms and hands waved maniacally over some old story, a huge grin splitting her thin, marmorial face. His wore a polite, maybe ever so slightly confused smile, and he nodded periodically, as if her accent was proving impenetrable in every language. Sherry was holed up in a corner with Rena and Candy, the three of them whispering over their wine. They looked too darn serious for comfort, and while I didn't notice any surreptitious glances my way, the feeling wasn't unlike vivisection. I took an hour or so of this, my best happy face on display for everyone to see, and figured that that was pretty good. Then I gathered up the abandoned glasses and plates and made like the hired help. It was Ailoreda who tracked me down in the galley, where I was washing dishes and getting out more ice cream and such for the revelries. Gaston tells me you have a proposition, something about 
changing Griselda's ship classification? I should have passed on the beer, because his querulous tone struck me as needlessly snide. Maybe it wasn't meant to be, but he just had one of those faces that made everything that came out of it seem supercilious. It was just an idea. Nothing special. Well, Gasto seems to think it has merit. He mentioned it at the officers' meeting yesterday, but I didn't really understand what he was talking about. I washed a thin-stemmed wine glass with great attention. Can you explain it to me? Carefully, I set the glass and the brush down and turned to him. Why are you doing this? Is it just so you, as an owner of the ship, can turn me down in private, away from any other people who might actually like the idea? He wrinkled his brow, as if surprised, though I doubt he was. No, I'm just trying to get a handle on things, that's all. Griselda has a policy of listening to its crew. Like you did about gunnery? I've been a pest about it, remember? Well, you have it now, don't you? Gunnery's all in order, like you wanted. I didn't always understand what you were after, to be honest. No offense, but your descriptive skills could be better. Okay, then I'll be clear about this. I do have a plan to save this ship, and we both know it's coming down to that. And this plan has to do with cargo, engines, command, and yes, gunnery. And as you say, it's just an idea, not a formal proposal. No need to get yourself in a knot. Lunk, he said with a shake of his head and going there at last. I know you're having some personal problems on the ship, but... Baited. He got me. What can I say? I was waiting for that. Of all the people aboard, you're the only one with the sheer tactlessness to bring up rumor and innuendo in a discussion like this. If it's a discussion, Ejok, then let's discuss your attitude. Frankly, it stinks. This was a tight-knit crew before you came on, working well together, getting along together. In whose dream? Benham was a jerk and a user, and certainly no gunner. He was loved by some, sure, but not by everyone, and you know it, and you know why. And I just want to ask you, I want you to look me in the eye and tell me you had a talk like this with him when he was breaking poor Rena's heart every time he went out tomcatting at a port of call. Aboard this ship, I'm a steward and a gunner. I'm not a suck-up. And I think that's your biggest issue with me, isn't it? He seemed flustered if I had to put a word to it, but he was one of those guys whose mouth could do his thinking for him. I came in here for a civil talk, Ejok. I'm going to blame the booze tonight and the stress you've been under lately and forget about this conversation. If you have a real idea about the ship, I mean something other than jealousy of the dead, very classy, by the way, formalize it and make a submission to the owners as a group instead of trying to sell it to them one by one behind closed doors. That's not how we do things aboard Griselda. I picked up the wine glass again and rinsed it very carefully. The temptation to punch the guy was so strong, I knew he had to be on to something. Almost nothing I'd done since I'd signed on was the way they do things aboard Griselda. That was the point, I guess, for both of us. I saw it as a good thing and honestly thought the results spoke for themselves. Maybe they did, but they weren't saying the same thing to everyone. Yes, sir. He looked at me for a long moment, then nodded and walked out. 
I scoop the softened ice cream into the ship's fancier dessert cups, sprinkle them with nuts, and return to the fray. The next day, Small failed to check in, and the next after that. On the high dock, there had been a delay of the recharging of our life support, something that should have been handled right after the ship had passed the safety inspection. It stretched on long enough to make it clear that it was a standoff. Pay the bribe or suffocate and or go thirsty. Air and water, simple needs. We could do without replenishment for one run, maybe, but it was extremely bad practice to leave a port without seeing to this detail. We were all suddenly conscious of every breath and every flush of the toilet. Ben Roggenston decided to check over the major seals on the big cargo hatch, more for something to do than from any suspected problems. He didn't sit still very well. He and Sherry went over the entire perimeter of the thing, inside and out, wearing blue glowing microview goggles and half the time on ladders. Candy hovered nearby, knowing intellectually, I'm sure, that there was no problem for her department to be concerned with, but with concern on her face nonetheless. I watched Sherry as she stretched up high to inspect the top exterior seals. The fact was, she was cute and smart, and I hadn't pursued her because of that. That's why I never did. Anya had made the first move between us, after all, and the last. After that fateful meeting, she had stopped knocking on my cabin door at night, and I hadn't asked why. We were too mature for ugly scenes. I was standing there, distracted by these thoughts, when I heard Carmi call my name. She was in the open frame of the personnel hatch, and she motioned for me to close in. What do you think? she asked as I approached, her eyes ranging the visible perimeter. Following her gaze, I was perplexed at first, but then it sort of leapt out. The guards? There's a lot more of them today. Fully twice as many of the helmeted security crew as we'd yet seen were detailed in small groups here and there. They turned regularly in their posts, looking all around, talking constantly to each other on their headsets. They're not here for us, I added at last. Carmi continued to study the scene for a long moment with critical eyes, kind of like she had used when I'd interviewed for the job, only more hawk-like now and without any need for friendliness. They're here for them, she pronounced at last, with a nod to the uniformed workers who went about their business across the breadth of the bay. There weren't many of them about, actually, and none of the ones that were seemed especially suspicious or threatening. They weren't gathering in surly mobs, nor was there any of that revolutionary scrawl or vandalism that I'd seen on the vid. Short of angry peasants with pitchforks and torches, I didn't know what to look for. But apparently the guards did, or thought they did, and they were looking for it. What are the regs here about spacers carrying their own weapons? I asked at length, taking a chance. Carmi cast me a sidelong glance. Do you have some toys in your locker that you never mentioned, Ejok? A couple. Does that bother you? Before we arrived, I'd have said yes. Right now, it seems comforting. Where'd you get them? I stole them. I turned and looked at her levelly. She had those piercing eyes on me now, gauging, assessing, and judging with the experience of decades in space. I waited for the hammer fall as the moment stretched on. Dig them out and bring them to the common room, she ordered at last. Another crew meeting in one hour.
You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.